Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised. What I saw was a tall, seven to eight foot humanoid creature with white, sort of sickly looking skin. Its arms and legs looked longer than a human's. I have no idea who this man is. We don't have a neighbor for at least a mile, and he's coming from the back of my property, which ends in a creek. And I realized that this hand was heavy and large. It was cold, ice cold. I I feel nails pressing through my shirt. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you three true tales and a listener voicemail that will terrify and horrify. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user SureDingo, featuring voice work by John Patnode, and we have a strange sighting. I posted this in r paranormal, and they told me this might be a crawler, as I'm unfamiliar with these types of things and just posted what I experienced. This is the story of the scariest moment of my life. It's been a few months since I experienced this sighting, but... I'm still terrified to go out at night due to seeing what I saw. About three months ago, I had moved onto an 11-acre property in rural Texas, specifically between Yorktown and Smiley. The entire plot of land was about three to four times the size of the lot we purchased, but nobody had purchased any of the other portions while we were there. The land was fresh, never had been built on before, and didn't even have an address. It was surrounded solely by oil pumps on neighboring properties. At night, you could see the burnoff from them lighting part of the sky orange. Our house was a bare-bones tiny house. No walls, just wooden beams and a bare floor. No running water, no plumbing. We had to dig the electric from the pole all the way from the house ourselves. That's how new the property was. It was a miserable experience all around, but... We're poor, and it was the only living situation we could find. I have never been a believer of the paranormal. I still don't believe in things like ghosts or demons. I'm an if-I-see-it-I'll-believe-it person. 
After this experience, though, I'm definitely more open to these types of things. What I saw, I just call the creature. Creative, I know. <laughs> when I moved onto the property, there were weird anomalies in technology that started to happen. Phones would glitch out and stop working, the cameras would act strange, and parked cars that were turned off would suddenly chime and the lights would turn on. I thought it was odd, but I never connected it to the property until my girlfriend mentioned the strange happenings later on after my sighting. One night, soon after I moved there, I had to get something out of my car. I took my phone light and walked out, opened the car door, and started digging around in the glove box with my full focus on finding what I was looking for. I forgot exactly what it was that I was searching for. After looking for a little while and not finding it, I closed the door and shone my light back towards the house. There was a truck parked between me and the door to my house. As I shone my light towards the truck, I became instantly terrified. What I saw was a tall, seven to eight foot humanoid creature with white, sort of sickly looking skin. Its arms and legs looked longer than a human's. As I shone my light in that direction, it ran off. It had the capability to leap over the truck, landing in the bed momentarily before hopping over the other edge and disappearing beyond my sight. I distinctly remember how the truck shook when it nimbly jumped over it. The time it took to do that was about four to five seconds. I never got to see its face, and I'm glad I didn't, as I would probably be even more traumatized than I already am. I can only imagine what its face looked like. Would it have reflective eyes like an animal? I still wonder and fear. Instead of stepping in the car and locking the door, I quickly walked around the truck and into the house, like an idiot. I was so terrified that when I stepped around the truck, it would be there waiting for me. Luckily, it wasn't. For the rest of the night, I was absolutely horrified, as well as the rest of the time that I lived there, which was only about a month. I would have thought, okay, maybe I just imagined it. But it was so, so clear to me. Even the fact that the truck shook was a detail that was too realistic to be my imagination. And I have one more thing. I wasn't the only one who saw it. My girlfriend saw it out the window at one point, though not as clearly as I'd seen it. She did some digging, and other people have seen a similar creature in the area. That makes it clear to me that what I saw was real. I still doubt it to some degree. Because how could it be real? But I can't see any other way to explain it. I still wonder what would have happened to me if I hadn't turned around when I did. It seemed like it might have been stalking me or something. I can only imagine in terror what it might have done to me if I hadn't turned around and saw it. I'm honestly traumatized from this experience, as silly as that might seem. I feel embarrassed saying that, but it's true. I know sightings like this to me before I experienced it myself would just make me think, these people are crazy, or they're making it up for attention or fame and are faking it. But now I'm more open-minded towards people's experiences. I don't want to be famous, I just want someone to know what I experienced that night. I want to know what it is that I might have seen if anyone has an idea. Please, please let me know what you think. I'm never moving to the countryside again. Ever. I'd rather get stabbed by some homeless Austinite than live out there and die from that creature. You're listening to Disturbed from Disturbed Media. Next up, we hear from Reddit user CC8873. 
featuring voice work by Kiona Bashful Echo, and we see the lady at the door. Back when I lived in the rural Midwest, about 10 years ago, I lived in a house right off of the highway. My house was right between one town and another, almost right on the county line. Our house had a big circle driveway. If you drove in the driveway, you would be going straight towards our barn. If you curved right, you could pull into our garage. If you went past the garage, you could circle around in front of the house and pull back out where you started. Our house had two large double doors in the front, which we rarely used. We always used the door that was inside the garage. One night, it was very late, my doorbell rang. My husband, my three-year-old daughter, and I were all asleep. It woke me up, and I thought maybe I was dreaming. It rang again. I woke my husband up. He thought I was hearing things until it rang again. It was very dark outside, but we have a dusk-to-dawn light, so most of the driveway is pretty lit up. Unfortunately, you can't really see the front doors unless you open the door to look out. You can open just one at a time, or you can open them both by using two latch-like things that are in the top and the bottom of one of the doors. My husband gets up and I follow him. He decides he's going to open the door. I want to call the cops, but because we live on the county line, we know it's going to be a while before they can get there. He opens the door to a girl, maybe early 20s. She looks normal, except for the fact that she's standing at my door in the middle of the night. I look past her and her car is pulled into my driveway just off the road, not up to the house, not around the circle. She says she needs to use the phone. She says her car battery died or something. She's not sure, but can't get it to start. I told my husband no fucking way. This is how horror movies start and we offered to call the cops, which would be the county sheriff. She asks over and over, but I'm not letting her in. We tell her we will call, and she kind of stomps off. We watch her walk back to her car, maybe 50 feet away. I'm a bad judge of distance, sorry. I can see her car, I can see her. I call the cops. They say they will be there as soon as they can, about 15 minutes. They don't sound very concerned, and at this point, I'm not really either. I mean, it's just a girl. She probably does have a dead battery. She opens the trunk, no lights come on. She rummages around in the trunk, then the driver's side door opens. Out steps a guy. Then the back passenger door opens. Out steps one more guy. They all rummage around the trunk. No lights on. I can't hear anything. I can't hear them talking. I can't tell what they're doing. They all get back in the car. Now at this point, maybe five minutes have gone by and I'm silently praying that the sheriff puts his foot on the gas and gets here quick, but I know it's going to be another 10 minutes or so. They just sit there, in their car, lights off, not moving. I can't see them when they're in the car, but I know they are in there. I know they didn't get out of the car and walk past the house because they would have had to walk right under the dusk to dawn light. I would have seen them. I think I see the driver light of smoke. That part I'm not sure about. Then I see something, someone, walking towards the car from the right, coming from the direction of the barn. It's a man. I have no idea who this man is. We don't have a neighbor for at least a mile, and he's coming from the back of my property, which ends in a creek. He walks under the dust to dawn light straight to the car. He doesn't look at the house. He just walks to the car and gets in the back. The car starts up, 
and they slowly back out of my driveway and head north. The cops arrive about 10 minutes later, and at this point, I'm freaking out. They search around, but can't find anything. Ask us if we got a license plate, but they were parked too far away. Tell us to call if they come back. Sure, buddy, thanks. My husband goes and gets his shotgun from the shop on our property, and we try to go back to sleep. They never came back. I don't know who those people were, and I don't know what they wanted. Creepy people in a car without a dead battery? Let's never, ever meet again. Looking for even more Disturbed? Join us on Patreon for ad-free listening, shout-outs, and Disturbing Calls bonus episodes at patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. Apple users can subscribe to Disturbed Media Premium directly in the Apple Podcasts app. Up next, we have a listener voicemail from Mike, and he details an experience from his time in the police force. Hello, my name is Mike. I'll tell you one of many stories that I have that occurred during my Los Angeles police career back in the 80s and 90s. This occurred in Hollywood Division, and it was in the mid-90s. There's a street there that is known for its uh, shopping, and it's called Melrose. And it's a nice place to go, but on the side streets, they're very dark. And every year during the Christmas holidays, we had a huge uptick in uh, robberies, armed robberies, because the bad guys knew that people would park on the side streets and then go shopping. So they knew that they had money. And during this particular season, I was assigned, my partner and I were assigned a X car, which was an car that didn't receive radio calls. We were just out there looking for a couple of robbers that had been hitting the area very hard. They were two male Hispanics and they would pull up on a motorcycle and produce weapons and rob people. Now, when you're out there looking for these guys, honestly, the odds of finding them are, are pretty rare most of the time. I mean, usually other cops will find them through traffic violations or whatever, but to actually go out hunting them and find them, it's kind of a big thing. And lo and behold, my partner and I decided we were gonna creep around there and it was dark and we were just creeping around the side streets. When we come to a four-way stop sign on the south side of Melrose, and lo and behold, as we're facing north, here comes two male Hispanics on a motorcycle. They see us and they stop and they were heading east. When they, you know, I looked at my partner, I was like, could it be? And I was driving. These guys immediately turned around and took off. So they were heading west and they had bandanas over their face. And as we pulled them behind them, Lo and behold, the license plate had a bandana around it as well. So we put out the broadcast that we were following 211 suspects, robbery suspects. And just about the time it was going to escalate into a pretty hardcore pursuit, which anytime you're chasing a motorcycle and you're in a car, it can get pretty hairy. 
for everybody. I forgot to mention it was a very typical Southern California night, very clear, not a cloud in the sky, mild temperatures. When just as I light them up and they go to take off and speeds are increasing, out of thin air, the thickest fog that I've ever seen and I was born and raised in Los Angeles. And it's not known for heavy fog and I've never seen fog like this. Just materialized around the suspect's motorcycle and our vehicle. And it got so thick that here we are running with our lights on and siren on and we could barely, barely see the back of this motorcycle. I had pulled up to within a foot of this thing and both the suspects and us were rolling along at about five miles an hour max because we were completely blind. So it didn't take long, maybe a block before the suspect's vehicle careened off of, or the motorcycle careened off of the parked car, the side of a parked car. They wobbled and bike went down. Nothing major, they didn't get hurt. But we were out of the car and on them at gunpoint. And the end of the story is we took them into custody and there were two firearms. And these were, in fact, the serial robbers that had been creating such a crime wave in Hollywood. And the strange part is, is when the handcuffs went on the second suspect after the first one had already been handcuffed, instantly the fog just vaporized, just went away. And here we were. And it was so, such an extreme experience, this telling it doesn't do it justice. But uh, I speak pretty good Spanish. And even the two suspects were very shaken up not because they were getting arrested, but because of the creepiness of this fog that just came out of nowhere. And I often wonder what was behind that. Was that to prevent some horrific ending, some horrific shootout, some horrific accident where somebody would have been, I don't know. I think back on it and it's just, you know, my partner and I talked about it for years after, even after we retired, just a very strange event. So that's my story of the mysterious fog that helped us arrest two dangerous people. And if you like that, I don't know how you can let me know, but I've got some pretty heavy police-related stories and some personal stories as well. But thank you very much. I enjoy the show and stay safe. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. 
You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true... We are here to tell you that they probably aren't, but that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookySciencesisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you and stay spooky. You're listening to Disturbed. Now, back to the horror. And we close out the show with a submission from Diablo, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford. And we realize that something has evil intentions. This happened in early 2021. Before this, I've encountered numerous paranormal events, and most of them were harmless in nature, but this one. This one was evil, and it was targeting my daughter. My daughter always loved to be in her room. She would do all her art and play there as she loved how cozy it was. She could see our dogs from her window playing outside and enjoyed watching them while they had their time outside. Gradually, she started to spend less time in her room. She started to come to our room in the middle of the night and jump in bed with us. My wife and I didn't think much of it and brushed it off as a phase she was going through and that she'll go back to her normal routine, but no. It got worse, to the point that she didn't want to go to her room at all at night. I mean, we'd ask her, what's wrong, bub? Why don't you like your room anymore? She would just say, I don't like it. I mean, we even said to her, do you want a new bed or have the room set up in a different way? And she said, no, I love my things. I just don't like my room. After a couple days, we spoke to her older daughter and asked her if she'd like to swap rooms with her little sister, as she didn't like her room anymore and, you know, if it was okay for her to do so. We knew she would, as she had previously asked if she could have that room. She wanted a view to the yard and not the main road. I gotta add, this is a two-story house with four bedrooms, three of them on the second floor and one on the ground floor. Anyway, our eldest daughter was okay with the room swap if her sister was okay with it. So the change was made and for about a week, everything went back to normal until it started again. But this time it got worse. Our daughter would refuse to go in the room even though we had changed rooms, unless we were in there with her. We asked her if she wanted her old room back, and she said no. She would only go quickly into her room during the day to get some of her toys, and that was only when we were looking at her, as she would ask us to come with her every time she wanted to go there during daytime. During the night, she would refuse to go in there. 
It was almost her birthday, so we decided to get her new big girl room furniture and some gadgets that she wanted, and she loved it. Reluctantly, she would go in her room, and we would notice that every time she went into her room, the first thing she would do was look inside her wardrobe and under her bed, but she refused to sleep there unless we were in the room with her. My wife and I started to take turns lying next to her in bed until she fell fast asleep. We would then slowly get up so she would not notice and go back to her room. We would leave her door slightly open as we could see her from our bedroom. We also had a new camera set up in her room and we had it connected to the TV in our room so that we could keep an eye on her throughout the night. And we noticed a pattern kept happening, always between 2.30 and 3.30 a.m. where she would get up and come to her room. She would always say that there was a monster under her bed and keeps moving the wardrobe mirrors and sometimes hides in there. My wife and I connected this to her constant checking under her bed and wardrobe every time she went into her room. It was the mid-year holidays by now, and we decided to visit my wife's grandfather who lived in a town off the central coast of New South Wales, about a three-hour drive from Sydney. He lived next to the beach, and this was the girl's favorite place to visit. We went there for two weeks, and midway through our stay, my wife and I were sitting on the back porch looking at the stunning view of the beach enjoying a perfect day. Our phones received a notification, and we were both stunned. It was a notification from the camera in our daughter's room advising that there had been motion detected. Now, this camera is a fixed camera that I installed on the top corner on her room wall facing her bed, play area, and wardrobe. It can't be moved remotely. You physically need to unscrew the back of it to move it into a different position if you wanted to. And I knew for a fact that I placed that screw securely as I'm a bit OCD and I check and recheck things when I do them. Well, we logged in to look at the camera on the live feed and we were shocked to see that it had been moved to a position just facing her window. We immediately started to look at the recorded data to pick up the moment that the camera was moved and, well, sure enough, we found it. And it was not what we saw, but what we heard that sent chills down our spine. Before the camera moved, the video quality became grainy and jumpy. Then it moved. And at the same time, we could clearly hear a deep, low-frequency growl, followed by a very sinister, deep laugh. And we could hear scratching noises. We could hear footsteps and the sound of things being thrown around. My parents live in Sydney, too, about 15 minutes' drive to our place. I called them and asked them to go by our place to check up on things, if they could. I briefly explained to them what had happened. In the back of my mind, I was thinking that maybe someone had broken into the house and, you know, I just wanted to make sure that everything else was okay. My parents had a spare key to our place and they made their way there straight away. They gave me a call back when they arrived at the property and told me they could see no signs of a break-in and, well, nothing was missing. But... However, when they went upstairs to my daughter's room, they found all her toys scattered everywhere and her bed and side tables had been moved from their original place. But before we go on any holiday, we make sure that the house is spotless. You know, that way we, when we come back from the holiday, we can relax and not worry about cleaning up mess. And we made sure that the girls' rooms were tidy and clean before we left too. So having all the toys thrown to the floor and furniture moved was puzzling and eerie to say the least. My parents agreed that they would go to the house in the mornings and afternoons to check on things until we came back. No other notification from the camera or anything out of the ordinary happened for the rest of the time we were away. Everything seemed fine once we were back home. For about two weeks, things were going back to normal. My daughter was actually sleeping through the night in her room. We did still need to lay next to her while she fell asleep, but, you know, things were fine. But 
What happened next was the most terrifying encounter I've ever had in my life to date. On this night, it was my turn to read a book to my daughter. I stayed with her until she fell asleep. Her bed is against the side wall away from the window, with a safety rail on the other side as she moved a lot when sleeping, you know, and a couple occasions she had fallen off her bed. After reading her a story, she began to drift to sleep. I had my cell phone with me. My daughter was facing the sidewall. So while I was waiting for her to be in a deeper sleep, I was on my phone facing the opposite way. You know, bum to bum, if that makes any sense. Just reading the day's news. I was on the phone for a while, and I could see my wife sent me a text saying, I can see you, as she could see us in the camera from her room. I looked at the time, and it was exactly 2.22 a.m., I remember smiling as I have this thing. Whenever I look at the time, it's always 1.11, 2.22, 3.33, and so on. It's weird, but yeah, it happens to me all the time. I texted my wife saying, you miss me? And told her I would go back to bed once I finished reading the article I was on. Not more than 15 minutes later, the room went really cold, and for some reason, a sense of dread set in. I looked back at my daughter and touched her tummy to make sure she was breathing okay, and tucked the blanket around her to keep her warm turned back facing away from her again and a few seconds later I just felt the hairs on the back of my neck stand and I had goosebumps. I was feeling on edge for some reason. And then I felt a hand being placed on my shoulder. For a split second I thought it was my daughter but then I realized that this hand was heavy and large. It was cold. Ice cold. I, I feel its fucking nails pressing through my shirt. My instinct at that moment was to grab the hand so I quickly put my left hand over my shoulder to grab it. The hand was massive, about triple the size of my hand. As soon as I grabbed it, the hand pulled back, so I immediately turned around and there was nothing. My daughter was still in the same spot and it had not moved at all. Then the bed shifted and the wardrobe mirrors started to shake violently. I thought those mirrors were going to break. For some reason, I immediately started thinking, don't acknowledge it. Whatever the fuck it is, do not acknowledge it and don't show fear. That was the only thing on my mind, and I briefly remembered when I was a child living in Colombia and how our elders always said evil will get you if you acknowledge it, and if you show it your fear, they feed off this to get stronger. I calmly grabbed our daughter off the bed, not showing any emotion, and as I turned to face the door, I was met with a huge black mass, darker than black. It stood in my way, blocking the door, but I kept my ground. I didn't look it in its face, and I walked right to it and through it. All the while, the, the bed and the mirrors were still shaking. The walk from the bed to the door felt like hours, and once I reached the door, it, it shut on me. I took a deep breath, and I just smiled, looking at the doorknob. I, I remember feeling so calm, given the situation I was in. Then suddenly, a familiar voice was in my head. I didn't hear it. It, it was inside my head. The voice was that of my grandmother. She passed away almost 25 years before. In my head, she said, Don't worry, darling. I am here. Then the door opened. I didn't open it. It just opened. As I stepped out of the bedroom, I saw my wife coming toward us from her room, and she said, Babe, I just had this weirdest dream. I was dreaming that something wanted to get you and our daughter, and your grandmother was telling me to come back and check on you. Anyway, is everything okay? I had no words. All I felt was calmness. I hugged my wife and whispered in her ear. It wasn't a dream. She looked back at me confused and alarmed at the same time, so I said to her, you know, it's okay. 
Let's just all go to her bedroom and get some sleep. We'll have a chat tomorrow. She didn't question me. She was completely puzzled, but knew I just wanted to sleep. She was looking at her phone, at the camera recording, and said, Babe, there's something wrong with the camera. It's not recording. And I said, it's, it's okay. We'll have a look at it tomorrow. The next morning, I woke up early before everyone else. The first thing I did was go to my daughter's room. The camera was fine, and it was recording in a loop as normal. The wardrobe was open, furniture moved, and toys on the floor. I got some clothes for my daughter, and I just closed the door. Once everything was up and ready, I said, Okay, let's go out for a walk. There were still limited things we could do as COVID measures were still in force for some activities. While the girls were walking the dogs ahead of us, I told my wife what had happened the night before. She was in disbelief. I told her that, for the meantime, let's just stay with my parents until things are sorted out. By that, I mean getting a friend of ours to come out to our place as he had extensive knowledge of the paranormal. He was from the same town we lived in back in Columbia. And we did just that. We stayed at my parents' house for a couple of days until our friend could come to the house. I didn't say anything to him about what had happened. I did say to him that I just wanted to have a look at the house to see if he could pick up any energies that shouldn't be there. He started to do his thing. Eyes closed, shaking his hand in a circular motion and asking Mother Earth to guide him. He was also holding an amulet in both hands and around his neck. All was okay on the ground floor, but as he got up to the middle of the stairs, he stopped in his tracks and said, Your daughter's room. I need to go there now. And as soon as he opened the door, he was faced with a sudden gust of wind. He walked in, holding the amulet in front of him, and went straight into the wardrobe. He looked at me and said, Let's step outside for a bit and get some fresh air. Once we were outside, he said, There is a strong evil energy in your daughter's room, and its purpose is to harm, especially you and your youngest daughter. I told you to come outside as this energy is bound to that room, only I didn't want to acknowledge it while we were in there. He told me not to worry, and that we needed to diminish and remove this energy as a family unit. And this is how you will do it, he said. Number one... He gave me eight rocks. They were black crystals, and he told me to put them on each corner of the house, both on the ground floor and the top floor, and not to touch them or remove them. Number two, get lots of salt, specifically crystallized sea salt, and spread the salt all over the house floors as much as we could, also to put salts in the wardrobes. Number three, he gave me sage and told me to get a large ceramic bowl to put it on. It must be ceramic, he said. You will need to burn the sage in it and go to every place in the house to ensure the smoke gets everywhere, and more specifically in my daughter's room. And to do this three times a day for three days, making sure we did not throw away the ashes and to keep them in the ceramic bowl. Number four, you all need to have showers at night and as soon as you get up, but do not use soap. You need to shower with the salt crystals for three days. This will get uncomfortable and you will get some scratches. Number five, on the third day, you will need to collect all the salt from the floors and the wardrobes, put them in the big ceramic bowl with the sage ashes, and put this on top. It gave me an amulet, which had all sorts of crystals in it. Number six. Lastly, you will need to bury the ceramic bowl and its contents in the earth. All the family members that live on the property must bury it together, he said. And once buried, he suggested we put a concrete slab or something big so that no one can disturb the area the bowl was buried in. Make sure that this is done in the backyard. It cannot be buried anywhere else from the property. He also said, make sure that while you are doing this cleansing, do not acknowledge or show fear and don't talk about the cleansing in the house. 
any topic relating to this, you know, just discuss it outside. So, needless to say, we did just that. We followed his instructions carefully, and those three days felt tense and very long. The aura of the house felt somewhat heavy, and there was that feeling we all got that something was trying to get our attention or just looking, but we proceeded, and thankfully it paid off. After everything was done and the ceramic bowl with the contents were buried, the feel of the house was that of tranquility, peace. It felt cozy again, and brighter. I did end up building a shed on top of the area where we buried the ceramic bowl so no one could get to it. I made sure I placed a thin layer of concrete on the base for the shed and added additional black crystals with a concrete mixture. It's been a couple years since this happened. I've not experienced anything like that again, and our daughter is no longer afraid to go in her room by herself. She even started to sleep on her own without us by her side. I can say now that that was the most terrifying experience I've had to date. I can deal with things happening to me, but when something starts messing with the people you most love in your life, it's a different feeling of horror that you feel down to your core. All I can say to people out there is, there are things out there that will try to get you. We never in a billion years did I think something like this would happen to us, even though we've had our own paranormal stuff happen before, but this was pure evil. So please, if any people out there are experiencing some type of dark paranormal activity, make sure you don't try to communicate with it. Do not acknowledge its presence. Because if you do, it will grow stronger and will get what it wants if you let it. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. A big shout out to our newest plus members, Chrissy3245, Harley Armstrong, Jude Murphy, Mighty Moccasins, Florentina Rosalek, Honeylips85, Braden Scheller, Ryan Thompson, Naomi, and Taylor Green. If you enjoyed the show, consider joining Plus at disturbedpodcast.com slash plus. But if you can't, you can leave us a positive rating and review on your favorite listening platform. Share your own true horror story at disturbedpodcast.com. Music by Carl Casey at whitebataudio and co.ag. And until next time, stay safe out there, y'all.